Um, well, I am very excited uh, to introduce our speaker tonight. Um, her name is Kelly Daniels. Kelly is the executive director of the Blue River Nature Sanctuary, a nonprofit organization that facilitates experience-based connections to nature for people of all ages from around the world, bringing self-empowerment, better outcomes for physical and mental health, and connection with their inner humanity in the world. Passionate about preserving the beauty of indigenous people and their skills, she apprenticed with a Native American medicine woman for a year on native plants identification and medicine making. She genuinely feels love for people. She loves them into being. She brings out their inner laughter and genuine feelings. In all her nature connection work, she feels the situation and intuitively reads the natural world and connects people with nature in a relaxing and memorable way. So maybe a little bit of some hands for Kelly to welcome her. And the other piece that I'm excited about tonight is um, all of my podcast fantasies coming true here. So I'm gonna channel my inner Krista Tippett and get to have a conversation with Kelly. Um, so Kelly, hello. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and your, uh, your bio I love because how many people include all those beautiful things like she loves them into being. She brings out their inner laughter and genuine feelings. So um, tell us more about who you are and your story. Oh, wow. I, um, I guess I think that probably a lot of my story has to do with um, growing up with a sister that has Down syndrome. It's the first thing that came to my mind when you were talking about that is, um, and she's my only sister and she was my big sister. So it was, I learned a lot about compassion and, and caring for people that could do, that didn't have the abilities maybe, or the, um, the luxury of being able to speak in this world the same as some people. So it drove me to be more, um, passionate about protecting people and uh, and bringing out the good in people and and being funny and all those things to help people laugh and using that you know it's interesting and when I was in Standing Rock that laughter was uh, a, a way that the Native Americans um, healed in a lot of ways even though there were traumatic things happening around them uh, they were, they were always able to joke with each other and and make each other laugh and it was really beautiful because I felt like wow they they don't have a lot to laugh about right now but um, that laughter was very healing so I've been a photographer for for thirty years photographing families and children and um, and uh, basically my job is to make them laugh. And so, so it's kind of been my job for a long time to, to make people um, happy in, in an hour that I have with them, but also to connect them to nature because my work is done on my land um, that is 10 acres of very sacred land that I feel has been brought to me to protect. And, um, and so a lot of my life has been revolved around this land for the last 30 years raising my children here and, um, and coming to camps that um, my, I took my boys to um, 
oh, I think it was about 18 years ago, and um, that changed our lives that were based on an Apache elder's teachings and, um, and was determined to bring that to Kansas because there was nothing like it in Oregon. I mean, the, it was in Oregon. There was nothing like it in Kansas. So um, it was uh, uh, something that became a mission in my life is to connect people to, to the land and to understanding um, the world around them, the, the nature around them that is there to take care of them and how to simplify. I think that was one of the main things that I wanted uh, my boys to come away with is not to be dependent so much on the um, the electronics and um, the stuff. And I'm in a in a real very beautiful place in Overland Park, and I'm very blessed to be in um, uh, a place that I would say could look very materialistic. And I didn't want my boys to think that that was the only world there was. And um, so I wanted them to be around people that understood that having the things wasn't what was important. It was um, the ability to be able to live a very simple life and be really happy. And, and being at those camps really helped us see that we could be so much more happy in a very simple setting. So it became a mission in my life, um, seeing how it affected my sons and, and I, that I bring this to Kansas and to, to, to create a, a space where people could connect to nature in a different way and um, camps in a different way. And actually in a way that's been done by indigenous people for thousands upon thousands of years that worked and um you know what we're dealing with that seems so strong right now is something a culture that has only been developed in the last couple of hundred years and so i think it's important to help people know that there's a different way of living with the world and living with nature that um is very powerful and is very healing in so many ways so I've had a lot of things that I've done to in that path of, of connecting people with nature, which was my photography. I did with my photography and we have weddings and uh, we do a lot of things, everything outside here. But I became a, for, uh, a certified um, forest nature um, therapy guide. And, um, and in that I take groups of people out in the forest and not just show them the forest but to help them to connect and um, be in relationship with the forest so that it can help them heal and um, so that's part of what we do out here is is bring people to understanding the world around them most people look at um, when they go outside and they go to the woods they look at the wall of green and they think oh Oh, there's poison ivy. This is a scary place. <laughs> there's got to be like half of that is poison ivy out there. <laughs> and so I have, so the empowerment is in teaching them, say, what a poison ivy plant really looks like so that you can walk around it and that you can enjoy the rest of it without being afraid of that one little piece that is, 
that people have put the fear, you know, fear of God into you about um, it being a, a dangerous place and a scary place. Mm -hmm. And I think nature is part of us. Just like we talk about everything is, we're all connected to one another. We're also connected to nature and nature is there for us. It, it actually is how we stay alive. And if we're disconnected from it, we can get sick in a lot of ways. And that's the un unfortunate thing is how do you help people connect in a way that helps them heal wherever they live? You know, you can be in a city apartment and see the sky and you can be on a deck and have uh, birds come by. And so there's ways to help people connect with that no matter where they are. But in most parks, people have parks somewhere close by, but they're afraid to go to them. And so, um, so it's, it's been a passion of mine to help them reconnect. And even with my sons, you know, electronics, they had this beautiful place that they lived, but the electronics so addictive that it was, I would have to like lure them out there <laughs> with um, places to sit in the trees and things to, to and, and have them earn, earn time on their screens by being in nature first, so. <laughs> Anyway, those are just like a few things of, I guess, who I am, a mom. Yeah, yes. Yeah. That's, um, there, there's so much in there that we can unpack and I hope we do. Um, I wanna hear, Kelly, a little bit more about your land because I've actually, I've never been, um, and I've actually been dying to have this conversation with you. It's just really funny. We're now doing it with an audience, but um, I, um, I know that your land is at the confluence or the place where Coffee Creek and Wolf Creek join to form the Blue River. And the Blue River is um, the river that runs through East Kansas City um, through the zoo. A lot of people know it. I know it meets up with the Missouri River. It's a really big deal. And there's a lot of people trying to do restoration work, including Heartland Conservation Alliance, shameless plug since I used to work there. And I know you're well connected. Um, that's how we got reconnected. But Tell me a little bit more about um, your land and what the headwaters of the Blue River looks like and why is that Why is that sacred? What is that land to you? Well, when I first walked on this land, I just somehow knew. I looked across the valley and I felt, I really didn't, I really wasn't that spiritual then, but I felt something calling me that I was supposed to be there. And I felt like I saw the crows and I felt like those were spirits. It felt like, it felt like a whole community through this valley. And I didn't really understand why or know why, but I knew I needed to be here. And I, I ended up finding out that where I was directly looking when I was feeling this was it was the headwaters of the Blue River. And where, the cof where Coffee Creek and Wolf Creek come together to form the beginning of Blue River. And I found out that the, this is where the main campgrounds of the Black Bob Chief of the Shawnee Indians lived. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a, um, a very sacred place where two rivers come together. And the reservation went from state line all the way to Lawrence, but this is where the chief lived. There's even a school right down the road that has a painting of the rivers coming together and. A, and all the, and the, there's teepees where my house is. <laughs> wow. So it's kind of kind of neat to see to see that. But um, so I've been told by a lot of people 
in the spiritual community that I'm here to protect the valley, to bring it back to um, joy. And um, there were the reason the Black Bobs left for a little while is because this is the Civil War happened in this valley. A lot of you know we're close to the state line, so there was a lot of killing in this valley. And so the Black Bobs came back and. They were the Shawnee loyalists, called the Shawnee loyalists also, and were asked to be in the war um, to, uh, you know, fight. And so they agreed to do that because they wanted to go back to their land. And so most of the men died. And so there was about 160 women and children that were here that wanted to stay. But they were forced. Um, the chief died and they were forced to move to Oklahoma and sell their land. So the people that I bought the land from bought it from the Indians. Mm -hmm. And so it's very, it's a, it's, it's a, it's amazing the plant life that's here. One of the beautiful things is that the um, there's Virginia water leaf and Virginia bluebells and things that you don't see in this area because they brought their plants from the East Coast to Southern Missouri where they were forced to go and then back up here to, um, to this area, Kansas, uh, and they brought their plants with them. And I thought it was really neat because people, you know, they, 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 they planted their plants to feed the next gener seven generations. They do everything to honor the next seven, seven generations to make sure that they can eat and, and um, be okay. And so this food that I'm eating here and all these wild edibles that I teach people about and that I harvest were gifts to me from mm -hmm. the Shawnees and they're still feeding me after mm -hmm. hundreds of years like we're still eating their food and how amazingly important that is and how if if everything was done that way how we could take care of everyone and we could feed everyone and and you know have that thought of um this isn't just for me this is for my children's children mm -hmm. so so um it's just it's a really special place you know it's the largest watershed in the whole kansas city area and um and i think part of my connecting the children here is that i want them to learn more deeply about where they live and what what is around them that they can eat for free <laughs> And yeah. they can connect with, you know, it's like, uh, you know, and I teach them about the thirds and like when you're harvesting, you can, you, you only take a third of the, if you see little three little uh, flowers, you only eat one of the flowers and you leave two, one for the animals and one for um, the next generations. So it's neat. To, you can teach so much, even if it's just a wild edible plant, but you can teach them so much about um, how to take care of others and, and how to give back in a way that you're not just doing it for yourself. Mm. So the, a lot of, a lot of the, those lessons came. So, um, so I feel like I'm, uh, I think the laughter of the children in the Valley is one of the most healing things that happens here 
is the, the, the children playing through the forests again and um, in a very simple way, you know, not with ATVs and, um, you know, their, their iPads and stuff, you know, they're doing it without all of that. It's a huge detox for these kids, what we do out here, because we don't include all those things. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a really special place that I like to share with people and, and teach people when I walk about that thank, thank, thank the Shawnees for this food you know, that we have around here. Uh, yeah, that's beautiful. I, and, and I know we'll have maybe some questions um, in the chat, which I think we'll get to in just a little bit, because I'm going to selfishly guard my, my time before I <laughs> invite other people's questions in here. But I did want to, um, I wanted to dig in a little bit deeper to something you just said that was about the, um, like, I mean, you shared some indigenous wisdom, some things that I'm like, oh, you know, you said, of course you only take a third. And I'm like, I don't think people know that. Um, and I'm wondering what, like, where did you learn that? And kind of what's what's your history of, of growing up? And did you learn that then? Or have you picked that up later? Well, it's kind of interesting because um, in growing up, my dad used to work for a mobile oil company, which is really mm. interesting that, you know, I've also stood up with Standing Rock against oil lines and i hadn't really thought about it until after standing rock and i thought oh my gosh you know my <laughs> my dad used to work for mobile oil company and i um and but then they moved to new jersey we were we were um transferred to new jersey from you know i was born in nebraska and we had the crew cuts and the bouffants you know and then we moved <laughs> to new jersey and my mom and dad um, went through the peace movement and uh, during the um, the you know the Vietnam War, and they basically became, I would say, traditional hippies. <laughs> yes. And uh, and um, they uh, they had me do things. It was really it's it's like an, it's an interesting thing because we lived close to the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. And so the first time I ever uh, camped was in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. And so my hair, my, my parents' hair grew long and, and my mom, uh, they, they started realizing the importance of the earth and, and nature. And what, what's really interesting is that at that time, these nature camps that we base all our, our programs on, they're, they're based on uh, an Apache elder that taught a little boy the old ways from his, a seven-year-old, he was seven to 17, and then he grew up and wrote books about it in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. At mm. the time, I was there. Wow. So I was actually in these Pine Barrens when grandfather was in, in the Pine Barrens. Mm. And I didn't know any of this. And I learned, my parents taught me Sylvan mind control. So I learned how to meditate and go to my happy place. And, um, and they decided they wanted to, they, all, they just decided they wanted to move back to Missouri, live on the land, grow their own food. You know, they went through the whole thing. It's kind of interesting because it's like, it's almost recycling back around. My life has kind of recycled the same way. You know, mm. I, I created my business, I succeeded, and, and then I decided, you know, I always loved plants. Because my mom, when I was little, she had a book called 
Billy Joe Tatum's Wild Food Cookbook. <laughs> and I thought it was like the coolest thing in the whole world. <laughs> I'm like, you mean there's free food out there? <laughs> and I mean, back then we were, we went from mobile oil company to poverty. And we were wow. like, we had um, commodities and we were, we were living, you know, I went, my, my life flip-flopped and it was, you know, a great learning experience for me. Mm. But I loved the, this book and you could like look at the, and see the plants that you could eat out there and what, how to cook them and how to prepare them. And I'd always like be looking, like trying to find these things and I could never find them. And I was like, so when I got older and I like did all my business thing and succeeded with my photography and all that stuff, I was like, what? I want to find a medicine woman and I want to learn about this stuff. Yeah. And so I, I found her and I like just asked about who is the best in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. And I found her and, um, and apprenticed with her for a year. And so then it was interesting because you just have to see these plants a lot, you know, like sometimes you'll recognize them quickly. And when I take people on walks, I, you know, it's really important to see them live. You know, it's sometimes you can look at books and I have tons of books to, you know, learn about these, but it's hard unless somebody actually shows it to you and you, you really get a feel for it. And then to see it several times and, you know, continually, like I know people now that even teach at my forest school that still can't figure out what a poison ivy looks like. <laughs> oh no. So it's like, you know, I'm, uh, you know, just try to, uh, continually, you know, build that knowledge. And I think that's what being on this land has helped me like really, you know, develop a relationship with those plants. And, mm -hmm. and they say that if you have a certain kind of a wild, uh, like weeds in your yard and you can't figure out like how to get rid of them and they're just like going crazy. Well, what I suggest is you find out what those weeds are because they're probably medicine that's going to heal you. <laughs> oh, and I had, I had one uh, couple that I took on a walk and um, they did this and I gave them an app. I told them about an app that we used that they could identify these, these things in their yards. Mm -hmm. And she did and found out that it, uh, the, it was ground ivy and one of the best medicines for tinnitus. And her mm -hmm. husband had really bad tinnitus and they couldn't figure out how to heal it. So, there was a medicine that was a weed all over their yard that they couldn't figure out how to get rid of. And it's because they needed it. So it's kind of, it's neat to be able to tell people about these things that is there, they're just not aware of it. Like nature has a lot of messages. They're trying to interact with us mm -hmm. and trying to, trying to help us, you know, to that they're communicating with us including birds you know i don't know if you've heard of like nature speak book where you you see a cardinal and you look you can look up the meaning of the cardinal right it's because everything is speaking to you the trees everything is speaking to you if you if you slow down and listen to it and you accept that and it would help people feel a lot less alone people feel alone in this world but no one is alone no one is alone but they don't know it. They've not been told that. People have been so isolated and separated and the whole idea of divide and conquer is what it's all about. That's what they've done with the Native Americans is they try to divide them so that they can keep them quiet. Same thing mm -hmm. with all of this is, that's happening right now.
So if we can stay connected and when you're connected with nature, you're connected to spirit because spirit is in nature. It's probably one of the easiest ways to connect to, yes. to spirit is in nature. And so um, learning about the messages and being open and open to the messages is part of what is so healing about being out there. So I think I got off on a tangent. <laughs> no, that was, that was beautiful. I'm so glad you, you shared that. That's an amazing story about that ground ivy yeah. and just with and the earth I, is trying to yeah. communicate. And yeah. just starting out with my family as being, um, you know, I've been in both worlds. Like I've been in the world of, you know, the money and the materialistic yes. thing. And then, so I kind of walk in both worlds now. So I work with a lot of people that, you know, just are disconnected and mm -hmm. everybody is. I mean, not even just people that are in the cities, people in the suburbs, everybody has been completely like blindsided to like what nature is. They'll go out to the park and they walk, you know, they're in a hurry. They're gonna like get a workout, you know? They don't, they're not, they're not, they're not feeling it. <laughs> yes. You know, you gotta slow them down. And that's what our nature therapy is all about is how to connect them with their senses. And even the camps that we do, that have been done for the kids has to do with slowing them down to earth time helping them connect with all their senses because right now they're tunnel visioning in on these screens and they need to use their wide angle vision. There's a, there's a thing we teach them is called Fox walk and the Fox walk is how to walk slowly in a certain way that we don't walk normally that the Indians walk and also wide angle owl vision, how to use the vision in all the parts of your eyes and doing that, it's interesting, but we teach them these things and they, it creates a spiritual experience. We don't, we don't say anything about spirit to them, but these children sh shift because of the way we do things. It's called, we call it Hasa, highly organized, seemingly spontaneous activities. <laughs> so, so they, so there is experience in it, but we're doing it in a certain way so that they like start going, whoa. <laughs> they start going, they start getting quiet. You yes. know, we have, a, we have a thing called sit spot where they, you would think that you could not get a child to go out in the woods, sit for 15 minutes quietly and just, just be, mm. that's all they have to do. That's what they did at these camps for us. We go out every morning for 15 minutes because grandfather, this Apache elder, he would go out and do gratitude, 15 minutes, sunrise, 15 minutes, sunset. One of the most important things you can do. So simple. And, um, but I take these kids out and I've had, I have teachers that instruct with us like from the Blue Valley School District. And they say, you know, we've seen meditation try to happen in schools. And it just, they just have a heck of a time with it. It's like really hard. But in all the years that he's been a teacher, he has never seen happen what happens at our camps. And it's nature. It has to do with the nature being in, in you know, 
cahoots with the nature, you know, <laughs> and for them to be allowed a moment of silence in nature to see, you know, people think they got to keep their kids busy all the time. They think, oh, you know, we got to plan this, we got to plan their, their lives are freaking planned out. And I mean, I did it with my kids, soccer, you know, all this, all this craziness. But just 15 minutes out there, they come back and we always circle, we do everything with circles. And we always circle, we always allow each one to have a, a moment to say something. And they came back in silence, after the silence. And I always feel like, oh gosh, I'm not gonna get them to do this. But it always, it's like one of their favorite things. It's so mm -hmm. funny how we think that these kids can't handle this stuff and they're more connected to it than we ever were. And, and they go out and they sit quietly and there's things, magical things happen. Like a little, like a snail crawls up on their foot or, um, or they actually see baby um, turkeys walk by or coyote or, you know, it's like they get to see, wow, it is magical when you just sit quietly. And um, so that's like one of my favorite things to do with them. And I had to do that with my boys, you know, to continue this 15 minutes of just, just sit out, find a sit spot. And it's fun to do in the same spot, either same spot on your deck, same spot in the, the park nearby, same spot in your yard, wherever you are, same spot, 15 minutes and just be quiet. <laughs> And you don't have to think about anything. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to have a specific prayer. You don't have to, you know, you have no agenda. And what happens is that nature starts to get familiar with you. And nature, like the birds have a certain uh, pattern that they, they go on. And you'll start to see the same bird. You'll start to develop a relationship with the bird. When I go out on my land, uh, I would, I'll walk out quietly every day, sit in the same place. What happens is the deer start to get used to me. Baby deer will lay back down. They like, no, it's just me. And a fox came out once and just like started scratching his ear, you know, he's like, you know, they just like, <laughs> they're just used to me. And how neat it is for consistency, consistency continuing to develop a relationship with the natural world. And I think that's what a lot of people think, oh, you go on vacation once a year, was, you know, this is really nice. But if you can help people develop this consistent relationship every day for a little while, it changes their life. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. Especially if you start this with kids, oh my God, you know. And I get all kinds of great stories back about they call me they call me the um the forest lady and um, <laughs> yard salad that teaches us about yard salad you know it's so funny oh and, my and, gosh and, and little medicines like you know plantain which is a which is a weed that's everywhere right and it has these ridges on the back of it and it's called the the indians called it ridgeback and I teach the children, and I learned this from the medicine woman. One of the girls in the, um, that was helping in the gardens, she got stung by a uh, wasp. And so, uh, and it, it was pretty painful. And uh, the woman went down, and she got, picked up this piece of plantain, puts it in her mouth, and chews it up, 
takes a wad of it, <laughs> puts it on the puts it on the sting, and it draws out all the poison, and it and it makes the pain go away immediately. And this this plant is everywhere, and it's and it's very empowering for children to teach them that they don't have to go to an adult to find medicine to make them feel better. Yeah, talk about powerful. They they can go and they go. Um, where's the, where's the ridgeback? And oh yeah, I remember it's over there by the pond. Okay, yeah, and they they take care of themselves. You talk about empowering kids; they can take care of themselves when they get a cut. It's, so this is not just for stings and stuff. You get a cut. I I fell through some logs once, and I cut all my legs all up, and I found plantain, and I chewed them all up, and I put it all over my legs, and I laid the leaves over it. It literally healed the next day. This is like powerful, fresh medicine. And, um, and the kids know it, they see it, they feel it. They, they can tell, oh, my, my mosquito bite doesn't hurt anymore. It's one of those things about like, people think that they have to have all these products. They think that they have to be protected in so many ways. When the nature around them is giving them something that protects them, they just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. Even with like stinging nettles. So there's a stinging nettle is one of the most powerful plants that you can like yeah. all the medicinal benefits of the teas and everything. Well, it stings, but it, it was used by the native Americans as acupuncture. It makes pain go away. It gives you, it's uh, helps your um, infl inflammation. And so, but also if you crush the, um, the stem of the, of the, um, of the nettle, it's the antidote to the sting. Oh, wow. And so no it's, like, it's just like helping people learn these things is just, it's pretty interestingly simple and powerful. Mm. I was just reflecting, Kelly, that I think because we titled this gathering, like what caring for all of Earth's creatures and what you're describing is this this mutual care. It is this like kinship. And when you say relationship and not just with, um, of course, other humans, but um, we tend to think of animals next because we can um, identify, I think, with them more. We don't tend to look at plants in the same way. But I think that that like you touched on something really powerful and even just that idea of the act of going out in nature and sitting in a sit spot is is so um like there is a spirituality that will just well up within us and we don't have to be told what that is and the fact that kids connect with that so easily tells me that as adults we've probably unlearned and covered over a lot of what is instinctual within us yeah yeah and it's interesting how you can tell our disconnection from nature because people are somewhat afraid of it but also um if you don't have a relationship with it, which, which I think that that's one of the main reasons we do this is because kids, in order to protect it, in order to like, uh, for people to grow up and want to be environmentalists or want to, mm -hmm. to um, have anything to do with making sure a forest doesn't get cut down, they have to love it. And if we're raising children in concrete and asphalt and we, they don't even know anything about it to, especially not to love it, then they're not going to protect it. And right. we're going to be in trouble. So we've got to get these kids back out to that place. I mean, even there, there was a developer that recently, um, uh, I'm glad you're bringing this up. 
clear-cutted a forest across the valley from me. Very, very uh, devastating to me. Yeah. Um, it was right above the um, headwaters. And um, it was interesting because we had a meeting. I did, I, I wanted to do a prayer ceremony. First of all, the developer told me he wasn't going to do what he did. And I got to find out by hearing the cracking of the trees. And I went over there and I felt this like, this wave of energy coming to me. And I think it was because I think the force knew that I could see it and it, it knew that I loved it. And it was like, it was almost like a cry out to me and like, almost like do something. And I couldn't do anything, you know, these huge machines are cracking these trees. And, and I just like sobbed because it was, it was some kind of energy coming from them that was really tragic. And, and I called out for people to do prayers at this, this place. And coincidentally, a minister came that was actually the minister from um, an amazing man from um, the, uh, uh, what's it called? The Presbyterian church down um, by Mission Hills. Mm, village. Village. Oh, Press. Village Press. Okay, cool. <laughs> and um, he, I asked him to do the prayers. And oh. um, co coincidentally, it happened to be the developer's minister. Minister oh didn't gosh. know that the developer who he was. Yeah. Developer didn't know the minister was coming. Developer oh. wasn't there at the time anyway. Um, but the developer found out that his minister was there doing the prayers. And he wanted, because of that, he wanted to call a meeting with the, all the environmentalists, mm. with Heartland Conservation Alliance. Yeah. And, to talk about like, you know, the development. And one of the things that he said, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is a common thought about, I think a lot of people have is he said, well, I only cut down a couple of uh, big trees. <laughs> and, but we're talking maybe 15 semis of mulch went out of there. Oh, wow. So we're talking a lot of trees, but to him, the big trees were the ones that mu must be important but it wasn't the wildlife habitat, all the plants, all the animals that live there, all the things that exist there that can no longer exist in a place that has been untouched since it was Indian land, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a place where toxic runoff is gonna go right into the headwaters of this river. Yeah. And this river is, is clean, clean here. This river is, it's like it, it's like it's always been, you know, the beavers here, here, the otters are here, the, the uh, bobcats and the, the foxes and the coyotes and the deer and um, the wild turkeys, everything is here. You talk about seeing a difference. It's like almost like sh showing a, an example of our world. It is, this is what it's like when it's not over processed, over stimulated, over uh, polluted, all those things. This is what it's like. You go to the end of the Blue River, which is what the Blue River movie is about that Heartland Conservation Alliance did. You go to the end 
it's concrete, it's a dead river. It's no longer alive. It's still alive here. So when we see a developer come in with these homes right above this water, we see what's happened and the rest of it happening here. And it's pretty devastating because this is the only wildlife thoroughfare that's left in the area. So the Blue River protects it because it's really, really a powerful river. There's like really big, you know, can flood things pretty good. So it protects the nature. Otherwise, it, this would be nothing. Like there'd be all cookie cutter houses in Overland Park through here if this river wasn't protecting this valley. So, so you know, having that relationship with all things, including the nature, is very powerful in our healing, in the healing of all people. And, um, and just remembering who we are and remembering that this, we're being taken care of if we had let it. There, there's so much medicine out there and so many things that it will, it will speak to you and it will come to you. And if you eat wild edibles a little bit, it is like a thousand times more powerful than eating a vegetable in the grocery store. Mm. And there are these, these are in the city parks too. There's wild areas in the city parks that people just like, you know, are afraid to go. They don't know what's in there, but it's like, you know, I can hardly wait to go. You know, just let me know. Y'all come out to your little park. I'll find you some food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I guarantee those people listening to this right now. They're like, how do I take Kelly up on that offer? Um, Kelly, I wanted to make sure that we get to a couple of questions that might be in the chat here. Um, but first, before we do that, um, one, one question that I did want to touch on, something that you mentioned before our gathering started, and, and you alluded to um, being with Standing Rock through all of the protests with the Dakota Access Pipeline, and how it had echoes and memories for you of this current uprising and the movement for Black Lives. And I'm just curious to know a little bit more about what that's like for you, maybe even in your body, and then to know like how you're choosing maybe to respond because of what you've learned from Standing Rock. Yeah, I think um, I so respect and honor the people that have the courage to stand up peacefully. And there's so many things happening that I think probably one of the main things that I think a lot of people don't know about and being at Standing Rock and being right there and watching, um, I was one of the main photographers there and I'm not one to stand up in the front lines, like put me in the back, please. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't have that much courage. I will take pictures, <laughs> but I'm going to be back there. Taking I don't want to get arrested, you know, and, uh, but people do. And when I didn't, when I went there, I went to record, at first, it wasn't scary, right? At first, it was all families and the elders were around the fire. They were cooking, there were thousands of us, but they were cooking big, the, the, the food and vat, big, big cauldrons. Yeah. And, and, they, um, and the children were playing and they had like, uh, the children had classes in like the teepees and they were learning about the, all the parts of the buffalo and like it was like going back in time it was so beautiful i mm. i was like blown away by the community that was happening there and it was like this is the way we're supposed to live mm. this 
is the way we're supposed to live. And it was like, it was simple, but we, was, we were, people were surviving and people were able to take care of each other. And people were taking care of each other. And they were, you know, camping on this land, right? Very peacefully. And um, what happens is that the powers that be have very good ways of manipulating things to make it look and bringing instigators in mm -hmm. to make it look like it's violent. I watched, I mean, there was a guy that was working with the pipeline, had a gun, first time I ever saw anything like that, drove his pickup in into the encampment and the people were taking this guy down out in the river and, and getting this gun away from him because there's no guns allowed there. And the man got away free and they arrested the people that took him down. Wow. This opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like Standing Rock has been, has had really bad things happen from the beginning. They dammed up the river and took out all their villages first, of the Missouri River. Uh, I talked to people that the grandparents were crying as their cabin is being destroyed because they won't let them live there because they're, they want the river to come in. They were a thriving, um, sustainable community in the 60s. And the river was dammed up and all their land was put underwater, all their wildlife, everything. And they had to be, they had to live up in the plains, uh, in the parts that they couldn't grow their gardens anymore. So they've had so many things happen to them so sneakily um, mm -hmm. through the years. And, and this is, you know, our society. Unfortunately, there's a lot of power, powerful people with a lot of money that know how to manipulate things and make them look like the protect pro protesters are bad. And this is, um, this is a really big deal because if people understood that these are peaceful protests and that there are people that are, don't want it to look like that because they want the protests stopped, then it would be an interesting thing for people to, to, to actually wrap around. Now, the main thing that I, see is that it's important not to feed into the fear, feed into the violence, feed into the anger, because that's what spins it into something that it turns it into something that you don't want it to be. And the more we focus on peace, the more we focus on creating what we want to create and not allowing the world to make us afraid to create what we want to create. Like, kind of like the Native Americans when you, you know, they were so suppressed and moved around and they came here and what did they do? They planted, they planted food for their children. If they would have just been oh, this is horrible, this is like, 
what they're doing to us is horrible and they just focus on that, they would not ever exist now. But instead they focused on continuing their prayers, continuing planting their plants, continuing loving their children, continuing with their lives despite all the things that were happening around them. And that's the only reason any of them still survive. So it's just important to not allow, it's, it's, it's easy for me to like, you know, I could go on to Facebook and I could start reading stuff and go, oh my God, you know, like, <laughs> whew, I don't watch the news and I don't watch, I don't watch, I don't watch news at all because it's just, it's depressing, you know, no wonder people are so depressed. So it's easy to distract myself from the things that I'm trying to create. You know, like I'm creating a, uh, an Oracle deck with wild edible cards and, and I can spend my time with that or I could look on like, what the heck is happening? Oh, this is horrible. So I think part of the importance is, yes, it's important to, to go out there and stand up. Like this, we, we have power in numbers. And if people just be there, just be there, that is so powerful for change. And and it's so important, so important, just to show that you support and to be there is, is so, so valuable. The numbers in Standing Rock grew to 25,000 people when I, at the end. Mm -hmm. Veterans were coming in. We, I was there during all the like 600 ministers marching to the front line, um, all praying. Like it was, and they, they even like burned the doctrine of discovery that was made by the Catholic Church many years ago. That gave the the um, the white white people the right to take any land that they wanted. That the indigenous people were, you know, they were not uh, worthy of their land, and they burned it. And um, so it w gave it to the chiefs and burned it. It was like an amazing experience to like to watch this, there's beautiful things happening everywhere. There's so much beauty happening. There's so much, there's so many um, people that are supporting, that are praying, that are doing these things. Focus on that. It's like focusing on the dark, focusing like adding fire to fire makes more fire. Focusing on the light adds more light and it dissipates the dark. So if we can focus on our light, focus on what we love, focus on loving each other, focus on even if it's your own thing, even if it's just something that you do, do it well and, and, and love the people around you. If everyone did that, then everything would change. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to have the protests, but if you can't be there, do something that brings love into the world because that's what we need right now. That's what we need is to bring light to the world. My light happens to be connecting with nature and helping people to connect with nature and connect with their own souls and connect with the world around them and to simplify and to understand that they're fully supported in ways that they had no idea they were supported, even if people aren't around. You're fully supported. And how to do that? That's my light, but everyone has a light, right? And everyone has a purpose. And if people could, you know, like let the fear down and figure out what they can do to make it better.
to me, that would change everything. Yeah. And thanks for that reminder that, you know, like we can't succumb to fear. And I'm thinking of all the, um, as you were speaking about that kind of like frozen in action, I was thinking a lot about, um, white people and the white people that I've, um, that I talk with on a regular basis that white folks in particular seem so prone to being frozen because it doesn't affect their immediate lives. And then um, that I, the other thing I was thinking about Kelly, as you were speaking is that, um, that the fire, I think of these protests and actions that remind me a little bit of like the, um, the Flint Hills and that, well, many of the burnings that happen, you know, when you burn to clear the land to then create fertile soil to create something new, just like you said, like to bring people to bring their gifts and create something new. And, and that the beauty of this can be this collective, um, I guess, burning and destruction so that we can be in that reimagining place together. Yeah, and all these things have been happening. All these terrible things have been happening behind the scenes. But now, when it gets to a certain point that it's so bad, that people are finally becoming aware of. Like yeah. now people are like, it, it brings it to the surface to help it heal. Otherwise it's, you know, people don't talk about it or it's like under the surface and you, and you think it's gone, but it's not really gone. And right. this is making people like be aware there's something going on here and there, yeah. and yeah, you know, powerful. and, and it's real and it's happening now and we better do something to make some changes yeah yes yes yeah um let me get to maddie's uh question real quick because i know we just have a couple minutes left um maddie said you said you weren't spiritual prior to living on this land um how has your spirituality grown and been shaped by nature in the land you live on how has your spirituality grown and shifted from the animals that you work with um the first thing that comes to my mind is when I went to the camps in Oregon the first time. And I went there because I thought, oh, this is about Native Americans. I'll take my kids. This will be fun. We'll learn about the Indians. And one of the first things they did is they separate the adults from the children and they had us go out and they asked us the question. The question was, why am I here? What brought me here? And I thought, well, my kids, and I read a book and, well, you know. But then he, they had us walk out into nature and ask this question. And I went out and I walked along and I went to the edge of the woods and I saw this heart-shaped rock that was like a red heart-shaped rock. And I was like, hmm, maybe it has something to do with my heart, like something about my heart. Then I looked down, all of a sudden, this two baby quails popped out um, from the brush and the mama quail was following the two baby quails. And I was like, wow, like the message to me was, and I never like read messages like this, but it made me question everything was, oh, it's like my two sons brought me here to help me heal my heart. And I, I had no idea that was why I was there. So it, so the nature made me completely start being aware. There is something going on out here that's way beyond like, what I thought was, okay, this is an oak tree, okay? And uh, this is a burning bush over here. It was, something else is happening here because it was almost like it was communicating with me. And 
I think that was a huge shift for me to like having the tool. What grandfather said was, what does mean? Everything that happens to you in your life is teaching you something about yourself. Mm -hmm. Everything. If something not so good happens to you, what does this mean? What is this teaching me about myself? Why did I draw this in? What is this? What, what, what can I learn from this experience about me and not blame anybody else? Not, not say, oh, this world is horrible because there's so many horrible people. Well, what does it mean for me? How can I make this world a better place? What can I do to, to connect more with this world? So nature really had a profound effect and that, just having that awareness, that's what the camps are all about is becoming aware. And when you become aware with your senses, you start to become aware with your spirit. Your spirit starts to open up and you start to, to see things in a different way. That's why grandfather said, we can do protests, we can put big signs up and we can, and that's very important. But what's going to shift this world is our connection with spirit. Mm -hmm. To be able to walk in that duality and walk with these, un, these angels and these spirits that are all around us, trying to help us, waiting for us to ask, waiting for us to ask questions, to ask for the help and to give specific guidance, it is powerful our spirit guides can go to their spirit guides that's how it's going to change mm -hmm. so we can have protests but we have to have spirit it's like vital in order to make the shift yeah mary sill once um spoke with us last time she was talking about this kind of triad of um caring for the earth spirituality and justice and how you have to have all three um, and I, I loved that connection because I felt that that was like, yes, because one draws you into the other and it, it's right. You have to have that present. Yeah, and everything is a circle, you know, the circle mm -hmm. of life, everything we do in our camps are, are circles. We circle up, we, we, we circle the medicine wheel is what I do to pray when I go down to the river every day. The medicine wheel is just a, a form of it's, it's going through your life from birth to childhood, to teenagehood, to wisdom, to spirit. And, and it's like, it's a practice in, you know, new beginnings and how do you grow through this and become wise, you know, and how do you connect with all spirits all around to help you with that, you know, because it is difficult to do ourselves. We're not meant to do things alone. We're meant to be in community. We're meant to be connected to spirit. We're meant to, to be as a circle with one another mm -hmm. in community. Like if anything, if people could commune more in circles, it's very powerful to changing the world. Circles of yeah. people, circles of women are what is supposed to change the world. Yeah, oh, I love that. Kelly, I know we are over time. So really briefly, because there is one more question if you're able to uh, squeeze this one in. Um, Wendy asks, I feel, um, I feel that about watching the news and how it can be depressing. I think referring to your comment earlier. What's another good way to stay in touch with justice needs around the world and our neighborhoods so that we know how we can organize together for things like nature, racism, economic oppression, etc.? I think to get involved with organizations that are um, in alignment with, with mm. peace. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of really good organizations that are doing things. Um, 
you know, but it, it's also about just allowing yourself. You, you can be aware of the world and that there's a lot of sad things happening. You can choose how you want to be in that. You can choose to find out about a protest uh, that you want to be, you want to stand up in. You can, you can find out about those from organizations like, you know, there's probably like, isn't there like 350, what is it? 350.org? Is that what it is? Yeah, um, Nick's nodding yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's like a list of organizations that are, you know, uh, about making change peacefully. Mm. And connecting with those organizations, connecting with those people, because peace, if that's what you want, connect with the people that are making the peace. You know, unfortunately, the news is very um, controlled by media that is owned by oil companies and, you know, <laughs> so, um, and I watched that. It's standing wrong because the things weren't even reported that were happening. I was like, what is going on? And so, um, yeah, it's, I learned a lot about the media. So I just don't even watch it anymore because it's so skewed. So it's better to like um, find out the people that are, you know, um, really reporting the, the real news, like BBC, like a lot of times, a lot of times a European, European countries knew more about Standing Rock than the United States <laughs> because a lot of times their media isn't like, it's not a control like this, believe it or not. But um, anyway, yeah, being involved with people, asking questions to people that feel right to you. What connects with your heart? Where do you feel good? Like, does that feel good watching that news? Mm-mm. Don't watch it then. You don't have to watch it. Believe me, anything on there, I, I'll, you know, I'll learn all I can, all I need to learn on Facebook. <laughs> that is true. Like, you know, Most people's number one news source. With a grain of salt uh -huh. and go, okay. Like if, if, you know, there's a big earthquake somewhere, I'm going to find out, you know, or something's yeah. going to go down big here. Somebody's yeah. going to tell me. I'm not going to like, I'm not going to be totally clueless. I'm going to learn things that are going to make a difference or I'm going to learn things that are going to make me feel better and make the people around me feel better. Then it's good. Yeah. But watching news that's like just horrific, read things that are good, read books <laughs> that are good, be with people that, you know, go to these protests and see how peaceful they are. Be yeah. a part of it. If you do yeah. believe that that's an important thing, be there. You don't have to be in the front. You don't have, you can be like me, be in the back. Take yeah. pictures, <laughs> you know, tell people what's going on here. You know, this is the truth. You know, yeah. you just don't be afraid to talk about it. Don't be afraid to be there. It's so important in order to make a shift. We have all got to show up. We can't just yeah. be in our houses looking at the news going, ugh. Ugh, this is terrible. Yeah. Well, and I think it can get into that that freezing place that you were referring to earlier as well. And I, Maddie put a comment in the chat too that said, um, uh, especially in the moment and knowing how it is also my privilege to be able to disconnect from the news as a white person. And, and so I appreciate Kelly, I think your, um, your um, wisdom to connect with organizations who are actually taking like action so that if we do if we do watch the news that can put us into a hopeless place like get going and and stay connected and build community like yeah, you're saying it could saying. be with church it could be with yeah. the, you know the yeah. churches 
anybody that you know is more peaceful oriented that is more in alignment with where you want to feel and where you want to be. Yes, that's great. All right, I've got to pass it over because I'm so over time with you, Kelly, but I appreciate this. No, you're, you're great. It should have been my job for sure. Um, but I, I appreciate this so much. I know that um, speaking of organizations to connect with, and I'm sure Nick or Wendy or someone else could speak, we do have uh, quite a few resources on the Open Tables website. And I'm going to pop your website into the chat for everybody to see, and maybe somebody could do that on our Facebook Live because I know um, a lot of people would be intrigued to get connected with you and what you're doing um, and give you all their money to teach you about medicinal plants, no doubt. So thank you, Kelly. I appreciate it so much. And maybe another round of applause for Kelly here. Thank you.